in the Bible, God provides a, a lot of information about a select few individuals. And I think with careful review, we can better come to understand those, those individuals, those people. And if God recorded a lot of data, if you will, on them, then it's important for us to take note of it. He did so for a purpose, and I guess for, for many purposes, because there are scriptures that can be lifted out of context and used in a variety of ways and a variety of lessons. And so I think it is, has merit for us to review and examine those lives occasionally and ask ourselves, what can we learn from the lives and details that God has provided for some of those individuals? So today we'll take a tour, if you will, of the life of Jacob. And if you're looking for a title for the sermon, I've just called it The Life and Times of Jacob, Lessons That We Can Learn. Verse 19 of Genesis 25 says, This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Eternal for his wife because she was barren. And the Eternal granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? Why, why am I having to suffer this way? So she went to inquire of the Eternal. And the Eternal said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older will serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. Excuse me. So that he called, so they called his name Esau, which means, means hairy. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. Now it says mild here, the I think the uh, old King James Version says plain, and the margin in my Bible explains here that it's literally complete, uh, and being a mild man, I didn't think that, I uh, wondered exactly what that might mean, so based on a couple of references I checked, and, uh, and it can also be translated quiet, ordinary, but also physically sound. So he was a, a quiet man, but uh, being sound, uh, complete, and he also, then they were dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, that, uh, what he hunted. But Rebekah loved Jacob, which seems to be a, a natural consequence of what God had told her about Jacob. And so we read this account, and we see that there is a, uh, a difference between them. They're fraternal twins, as I mentioned earlier. Esau is named Harry. Uh, it means Harry. Jacob, of course, means supplanter or deceitful. And uh, Martin also says, one who takes the heel. Uh, I just uh, take that to understand it. It means that uh, 
maybe would, someone who might trip you up, uh, which uh, proved to be a, a, a foretell, foretell or a forecast and a prophecy of what Jacob would be like. Then as we, we read verses 27, 28, or 26 and 27. We'll pick it up here in, in verse uh, 29. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. Uh, the old King James here says, I think says faint, uh, can also be rendered exhausted. And so one would think that uh, he had not been successful in that particular hunt, but he was weary, and uh, therefore his name was called Edom, which means red. Uh, I'll comment on that in just a moment. Uh, so, but in, based on verse 28, if Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved uh, Jacob, one can only uh, assume here that there probably was a fair amount of dissension between these two, these two twins, these two brothers. There was a real uh, sibling rivalry, uh, sort of went maybe from the, from the get-go, even when they were little. Uh, one was the favorite of the father, one was favorite of the mother. They had their differences, they were very different. And so they had to uh, deal with that. And uh, uh, Rebecca, perhaps assuming, uh, I say assuming, but uh, believing what God told her, was that one way or the other, Jacob was going to end up with all the goodies. Being second in uh, being born, he would, uh, this law of primogeniture, he was not the one who was going to inherit as the firstborn would, the blessings and all the things that would go to the firstborn from Isaac. And uh, Rebecca then, of course, uh, feeling that way, one way or the other, at least we find here, that Isaac was not given the same information. We can we'll see that later on as well, that uh, Isaac wasn't, wasn't uh, apparently told this particular information. And we read here that uh, we go on, he says that, uh, uh, he's weary, verse 31, but Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, well, look, I'm about to die. So what is the birthright to me? Now, I said he was weary. Uh, he must have been truly exhausted. Maybe he was, we, what we know today we call dehydrated, and he was faint, and he thought maybe he he, he could die. And... So if I'm going to, rather than die, uh, I wouldn't get the birthright anyway. What, uh, what's it matter? And he's willing to bargain this away. And Jacob said, look, uh, swear to me uh, as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank and he arose and went his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright. So a strong word that uh, is used here. He despised his birthright. This is a, uh, I guess you could think this is this is sort of like uh, the uh, pilgrims, etc. The ones came to America bargaining for Manhattan, forgetting <laughs> forgetting this island for a few baubles, and because of that, he's called Red, sort of a nickname, I guess. And as he goes through life, he's called Red. And every time he hears this name, he's thinking, that was a stupid deal. You know, every time he gets this, hears this nickname, it's like, boy, did I make a bad, a bad decision. And he should have considered it, 
before he did it. We don't even know for sure what age they were when this happened. But my guess is that, and it is just a guess, my thought, is that this probably was not the first time that Jacob had gotten the better of his twin brother. And Esau maybe should have been on alert here. Before I strike this deal and this thing is coming out of my brother, maybe I need to think about this. And after all, if I'm in line to get the birthright, God's not going to let me die, is he? He's going to see to it that I follow in the footsteps of my father. And not thinking it through, obviously, at least thinking it through correctly, that he was willing to give up his birthright for the sake of a bowl of stew. Jacob knew that he technically was not in line to receive the birthright. Uh, I would think that Rebecca had perhaps shared those thoughts with, with her favored son, and he wasn't technically in line to do it, but here was an, an opportunity, and Jacob was at this point not one to pass up a chance. If he is deceitful, he's a bargainer, he's a schemer, and so he figures out this is the, the way to get what I really want. And I think, again, Esau should have been on guard, but he wasn't. So Jacob tricked Esau, and he saw his chance. He made the bargain. He got the birthright. I think what is also important here is that Jacob understood this was important. It really mattered in what was going to happen in the future. He wanted that birthright. And it says here that Esau despised his birthright. Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16. Paul is cautioning. the Hebrews, about turning away from God. He says here simply in verse 16, chapter 12 of Hebrews, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of bread or food sold his birthright. And profane here is, my margin, is, is godless. And so clearly God is showing us that something as important as the birthright, which was part of the promise given to Abraham, given to to Isaac, that Esau did not did not see this as a great privilege, and God says he was simply he, he despised that birthright. He should have understood what was going on, what, what what God was going to do to keep His promises through Isaac, and the name is changed to Red, and he has to realize he's made a great mistake. Hebrews goes on to say that when he tried to repent tried to find redress on that. It just didn't work. Now, there's a lesson here for all of us because we too have been given great promises from God that we have to protect our inheritance, our calling, that we have to watch out for all the trickery. The Bible refers to the wiles of Satan, 
What would we trade eternal life to have something else? How much is eternal life in God's kingdom important? How important is that to us? Let's turn over to First Peter, chapter or Second Peter. Beg your pardon, Second Peter, chapter three. I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter 1. And I'll skim through the verses here from verse 3 through 11. In the middle of this, the thought, he points out here in verse 3, is his divine power has given us all things. And then in verse 4, about which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. We have... Many of them, and Mr. Ames talks about this often, to claim God's promises. He points out in verse 5 that we should, uh, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to our faith virtue, to virtue add knowledge, to knowledge self-control, and perseverance, and godliness, and brotherly kindness, and then to brotherly kindness add love. For if these things, in verse 8, for if these things are yours and abound, and you, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old ways. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And let's turn back to Hebrews 12, and we'll read a couple other verses after Paul has talked about Esau being a profane individual. In verse 18, he talks about us, but Hebrews who had been called to be part of the church and what we've been called to today. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, that burned with fire. Verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the just of all, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, who've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of a sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him. Who speaks? For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. So God is telling us we need to be very diligent to hold on to our inheritance, to hold on to our calling. And he uses this example in the Old Testament with Jacob and Esau to point out the just incredible difference between a bowl of soup, bowl of stew, and actually being given the birthright part of the promises that had been given to Abraham. Esau clearly was not thinking well and thinking clearly about what was at stake, but he traded his birthright for a bowl of food. And there is nothing, nothing in this life that will compare to what God is offering us in his kingdom. And we have to ask ourselves, is there anything that might ever 
pull us away sufficiently that be willing to give up eternal life in God's kingdom. Let's turn back then to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. Read verses 34 and 35. It says, when Esau was 40 years old, verse 34, he took his wives, Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they were a grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. So, again, how well did these two brothers listen to their grandfather and to their father? Because Abraham had sent his servant back to his home country to obtain a wife for his son Isaac so that there would be some continuity in, in, their, in their lives. And also it was important to them. His family heritage was an important matter. And it did not obviously matter to Esau in this particular case. He did not follow Isaac's example with his brothers uh, I'm getting a wife, and certainly his parents were very upset with that. So, again, it's notable here, I think, that this family matter is important, following that example so that we don't give up on the inheritance that God has, has given to us. And also, in this particular case, there is no notice about anything about Jacob getting married, only about Esau that he marries two women of the, of the, of the Canaan, Canaan area. Let's continue over and then in, in chapter 27. And I'm just going to skim through this, this chapter. I'll just uh, read through sections of it and follow along. In chapter 27, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau. He wanted Esau to come. And in verse 2 he says, Behold now, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. So go out to the field, in verse 3, and hunt game for me. In verse 4, and make me savory food, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So at this particular point, Isaac is, let's say, in poor health, sufficient to make him wonder that perhaps he's about to die. And Rebecca was listening. So in verse 6, she spoke to Jacob. And she goes and tells him what to do. And in verse 8, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to all, according to what I command you. Go to the flock, bring me two choice kids. I'll make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. So it, she knows the recipe, I guess, and how to make these, you can make these, uh, these two uh, uh, animals from the kids from the flock pretty much taste like whatever that Esau would bring in from the field. Verse 10, that he may eat it, that he may bless you before his death. Even his wife thinks that his, it's, uh, her husband Isaac is, is perhaps about to die. And knowing what she knows, she tries too much to set out this plan in order to get Jacob to uh, receive the rest of the blessings. They would come from Isaac. And so uh, he does all that she, uh, she advises. And she, he brings back the kids to her, and she prepares the food. And so in verse 18, he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. 
Who are you, my son? He heard the voice, but which, you know, which one is it? And Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat my game, that your soul may bless me. And he obviously is lying to his father because he wants to, he's following the, the advice of his, of his mother. And Isaac uh, has this gut feel, and based on the circumstance, he says, uh, Come near, in verse 21, that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So, of course, uh, Rebekah and Jacob have anticipated this. He's got these uh, animal skins on him. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice. But the hands are the hands of Esau. So in verse 23, he says, so he blessed him. And the blessing he received, we pick it up in verse 28. It says, therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and, and wine, and let peoples serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, over your brothers, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. So he receives this blessing from his father. And in verse 30, he said, Jacob is scarcely gone, but he saw his brother came in to Isaac and offers him his the food he's prepared. And then in verse 33, he said, Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came and have blessed him. And indeed, he shall be blessed. Uh, frankly, I'm not sure why he, that he just, he was knew that what he had done was to be permanent. And whatever regret he may have had, he realized that it was going to be that way. And in verse 35, he says, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Again, he had been living up to his uh, to his name. He takes the blessing from Esau in, in, in Esau's stead. And it's now obvious, I think here, that God clearly had not told Isaac that, uh, what was going to happen, that, that the, the younger brother would rule over the older brother. And again, we don't know exactly when this happened. So we read here in verse 41, after this has happened, Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Now, that happens to be a pretty important point in the history of things as it unfolds because he says, I'll do this after Isaac dies. I won't do it while Isaac's still alive. Because in reality, Isaac, as we all know, Isaac was not about to die uh, in this particular case. He was to live a good long time after that. He would not certainly die soon in spite of the fact he, he was worried about it, he couldn't see, but he was going to have a good number of years before he died. So then over in, can continue in chapter 28. Well, before I do that, let's read uh, verse uh, uh, 43, uh, where Rebecca is 
now aware that Esau plans to kill Jacob, and so she intervenes and tells Jacob, you need, to, uh, you need to leave because your brother is going to kill you. Verse 43, flee to my brother Laban in Haran. And part of that story then in verse 46, and getting him to leave, Rebekah says to Jacob, I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. These are the two Hittites that Esau had married. And if Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will be my life to me? In other words, I just, life would not be worth living. So let's send him away to get a, to, to get a wife. Verse chapter 28, verse 1, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paddan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, and uh, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. And in following that, it, it, we won't read the verse 6, but verse 7, that Esau recognized here something that said that Jacob oh, had obeyed his father and his mother. Clearly something that Esau had not done. Because I would, I would have to think that at some point, Isaac and Rebekah, in giving the training to their two sons, would be to not marry women of the land, men of, women of Canaan. And yet, in spite of that, Esau had done that very thing. But Jacob, when he was guided and advised by his mother and then blessed by his father Isaac, that he did go back to the same land that Isaac had sent, uh, had received his wife from when the Jacob, uh, Abraham's servant had gone to get Isaac a wife. So in chapter 28, verse 10, says, Jacob went, and he went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place, and he lay down in that place to sleep. So important story here. We know this story quite well, but it is, it, it, uh, we need to review it. And then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. Verse 13, And the Eternal stood above it and said, I am the Eternal God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And the land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Now, this is the first record that I know of where God dealt directly with Jacob. He's on his way to, uh, to escape from Esau, and God begins to communicate with him. And he goes also there in verse 14, the last part of the verse, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, this is, I think, important to note that many of the same words that were given in the blessing to Abraham in the very beginning that are given to Isaac and were also given to, uh, to, to Jacob, that in, in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
He says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. And then Jacob awoke and said, Surely the Eternal is in this place. And I didn't even know it. How awesome, in verse 17, how awesome is this place. In verse 19, and he called the name of that place Bethel, meaning the house of God. It was where God was. And Jacob then makes a vow, saying, If God be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the eternal shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And all of, and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. And the way it's phrased here, it says, if God will be with me. Well, God had just told him, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to watch over you, and I will bring you back in peace in the future. And in many translations, that word if remains there. But I did find one one translation, and I'd focus on that, but it says, seeing that God will be with me. Well, Jacob is convinced that this is going to happen, so this is what I'm going to do, and then I'm going to, see, when, it, when I get all of these things that God has promised me, I'm going to give a tithe of it back, much as his grandfather had done. How did he know that by giving God a tenth? He'd been taught that. Again, what he had been taught stuck with him. It made a difference to him as opposed to what it did not mean to uh, mean to his brother Esau. And God in verse, in verse 15, again, he says, I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken. But I'm going to see to it. This is, this is done. I won't forsake you. I'm not going to leave you. God promised to never forsake him. You know, if there's a lesson for us to learn, and relearn and relearn as we go through the difficulties in our lives is that God has promised to us that he will not forsake us. There are other scriptures that I won't turn to right now, but we know the one in Philippians, that God is going to finish what he started in our lives. He is not going to forsake us. However little we might see what's going on from day to day, why these trials come and go, God says, I know exactly what's happening in your life, and I'm not going to leave you. I promise he's extended to all of us, and we have to, again, I think as we go through our problems, we have our, our faith is uh, uh, strong at times and maybe not so strong at others. And maybe we have to just remind ourselves verbally, kind of preach to ourselves, convince ourselves that God is always with us. He is not going to forsake us. If we're trying our our best to serve him and obey him, he's not going to leave us. We have to leave him. But if that doesn't happen, then God is not going to turn his back on us. And we will see later that Jacob gives testimony to knowing that this promise is fulfilled and has been fulfilled in his life. And, of course, here he names this place Bethel, referring to the house of God. We Think about that in terms of the New Testament, the New Covenant, that we, part of the family of God, the church of God is the house of God. We are a collection of individuals, the ecclesia, the called out ones that are part of the family of God. Then in, in verse uh, 
in chapter 29, move there, chapter 29, verse 11, says Jacob, of course, Jacob's going, he finally gets to where he's, he's going, he gets over to Haran and uh, to his, his relatives. And then Jacob kissed Rachel. I'll comment in just a minute. And lifted up his voice and wept. Uh, I guess that's just, he's really happy to have arrived where he's at his destination. Maybe that's part of it. And so, Jacob or uh, Rachel runs and tells her family in verse 13, Laban heard the report. Jacob comes to him and, and he's embraced and uh, Laban kisses him. A different kind of kiss, I would imagine. And uh, brought him to his house. So, so he told Laban all these things. And Laban says, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed there for a month. In verse 15, because you are a relative... Should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what your wages are going to be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older one was Leah. The name of the younger one was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel. Love at first sight, (laughs) I guess if you will. And so he said, I'll serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Uh, go back to verse 11. Jacob kissed Rachel. Uh, that was, must have been quite a kiss. <laughs> he's willing to work for seven years <laughs> for this, this young lady. He's, uh, he's impressed with her. I'm being a bit facetious there. But uh, anyway, he's willing to, to uh, work, if you will. His wage is what he was going to earn for seven years was this this young lady, Rachel. And we can uh, go on to verse verse 20. It says uh, here that Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. And Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. And uh, Laban makes a feast. Now we uh, traditions of the East. We go back over in John. We we know where Christ turned the water into wine. That there was a wedding feast. I think that went on for a week. Uh, a great celebration. And Laban, uh, very likely the same thing, makes this great feast. And because he, as we know the story, he is going to pretty much do to Jacob what Jacob had done to his brother. He's going to pull a fast one on him. And so he took Leah then, uh, his daughter, and he brought her to Jacob. And it came to pass in verse 25, it came to pass in the morning that behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, it must not be so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Now, he could have told Jacob that. Seven years earlier, but he didn't want to do that. He had, he was also a, a pretty good schemer himself. And Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. But I got a, I've got an idea, Jacob. Here, fulfill her week and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve for me with me still another seven years. 
other words, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get you for 14 years and you, you can have her. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he, uh, he agreed to go along with this. And so he gave him his daughter, Rachel, his wife also. And he served with Laban still another seven years. She only had to wait at that point for another week to, uh, to get Rachel to be his wife. So over the next seven years, he's working again, his wage, Again, his earnings, again, are going to be Rachel. He got Leah out of the first seven years. In the next seven years, he will get, uh, he'll get Rachel. But we also know that he ended up with a couple of other ladies, Zilpah and Bilhah, that, uh, part of the deal. And it would seem, if you read this, uh, I'm not going to go into this in great detail, but if you read this, in those seven years, it would seem that there are 11 sons, and one daughter that are born to Jacob. He has two wives. He has Leah, and he has Rachel, and he has two concubines. And in seven years with four four wives or four ladies, you could think, well, that doesn't seem necessarily all that uh, unreasonable. However, the indication there is that seven of those children, six sons, and then the daughter, all born to Leah, what well, appears to be seven years. So I'll just say that that's a little bit of what uh, we might call a conundrum. It's uh, uh, exactly what uh, what took place in, during that time, but it's uh, that's not necessarily part of the, the sermon this afternoon, but uh, certainly interesting point. Then in verse 31, it says he us here that Rachel was barren early in, uh, in the marriage to Jacob, uh, and we find then in verse 30, uh, chapter 30, we'll go on with the account. Chapter 30, verse 22. Now, I, I mentioned uh, Rachel's barren. Leah has four sons in succession fairly quickly. It says then she leaves off bearing for a while, and uh, she gives her. Uh, her handmaiden to Jacob, and a couple of sons are born with her handmaiden. Two are born from Rachel's handmaiden, uh, two children uh, and uh, two sons. And then uh, later on, Leah uh, is able to bear three more sons. But here in chapter 30, verse 22, Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, The Eternal shall add to me another son. And the, uh, the word Joseph, as margin shows, was he will add. It was the meaning of that. It would be a, he just believed there would be another child, another son would come from her womb. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children from whom I have served you and let me go. For you know my service which I have done for you. So uh, we know from other, we'll turn a moment, that for that, that time he has worked, uh, for those seven years, so 14 years, he's ready to leave. He's ready to go back to his home country, take his wives, take his children, and leave. In Laban, verse 27, then Laban still wants to negotiate. It's like, it's, uh, Jacob is just too good of a... He says, too good of a deal to give up easily on this man because 
He says, stay with me, because if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the eternal has blessed me for your sake. Then he said, name me your wages, and I will give it. In this particular case, uh, these are actual wages, what, it's being, what he's talking about, because uh, Jacob now has the two wives. He has the two daughters, and he has the, the wife that he wants. And Jacob or, uh, Laban says, I'll give you, uh, I'll actually pay you now for your time. Uh, he could see that Jacob was a, a good hand to have around. Then in chapter 30, over in verse 43, we find out that what has worked out, and I'm going to go through the whole story of that chapter there, but Jacob says what he wants for wages, certain kind of animal, certain from the, from the, the sheep and what all, uh, and it sounds good to Laban. He thinks he can trick Jacob, but Jacob, now with God's blessing, is a bit more shrewd than, than Laban, and with his knowledge of how things worked and God's blessing, he says in verse 43, referring to Jacob, Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, camels and donkeys. So he was very wealthy, well, well off, very wealthy himself in his own right. And now he wants to leave. In chapter 31, verse 11, it says, Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which are leap on the, uh, the flocks, which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. So God had intervened for, for Jacob. He says, I am the God of Bethel. This is the, I'm the same one that spoke to you way back when, when you were, you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Remember me? Remember the promise you made? Remember the vow you made to me? Because I'm, now I want you to do what I tell you and follow your vow. Now arise, get out of this land, return to the land of your family. So he leaves Laban. Of course, we know the story. Laban pursues him and they have to go through a, 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 an inspection of sorts. And then Jacob is finally freed to go on to, to, uh, to his homeland. And then later in chapter 31, verses 41 and 42, it says, Thus I have been in your house 20 years, and I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. So we know that he's, he's leaving now. He's, he served six years, and during those six years, uh, his wages were enough of these animals. He became very wealthy, had a lot of money, bought some other animals as well. And even during that time, Laban is back and forth. He's, he's changing the contract. Uh, it's sort of uh, like I think Mr. Weston mentioned on the, the update that we have this we had this contract with one one of our fee sites, and they came back after it. Contracts all signed, and they want to add an, an addendum. Uh, I uh, when I was in sales, uh, working with IBM, uh, I had a contract from a customer. Had a system on order, and uh, the, my contact at the, the customer, I called him one day and gave him some information. He said, oh, by the way, he said, uh, John, uh, you're going to give me an additional discount? I said, what? <laughs> he said, uh, well, you know, because I get another 2 or 3% two or off. And I said, we have a signed contract. 
He goes, I know, but you want to give me another couple of percent, aren't you? I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> but he wanted to add to this deal. And Laban is still, he, he wants to change back and forth. He keeps trying to get the better of, of Jacob, but God saw to it that none of that worked. But for six years, he follows that. And Jacob then responds, you've changed my wages many times, ten times during those six years. And unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had been with you, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night or in the past, yesterday. Jacob could now, could now see that God was watching over him. God had fulfilled his part of it. I'll see that you come back, come back very well. The lesson for us is, remember, though you and I always see what's happening, that God is directing what's going on in our lives, that God is still there, and he's not forsaking us. So in chapter 32, Jacob heads home. Uh, two angels meet him in the first couple of verses. doesn't tell us why those two angels appeared. Uh, maybe they were to uh, just speculate, give him, give him comfort that Jacob is going to be okay uh, when we do that. And, of course, Jacob knows that he's going back, that uh, he has sent messengers to his brother, that he's coming back. And so in verse 3, so Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And in verse 6, the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau, and he also is com- coming to meet you. And he has 400 men with him. Uh, uh, what kind of greeting am I going to get here? And he says here, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people. He has a strategy to try to protect his family. But he's worried now. He's very scared that God, uh, to Esau is going to not only kill him, but kill his family. And uh, he's terrified. So we're going over to down to verse 9. And then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Eternal who said to me, Return to your country, and I will deal well with you. And he humbles himself. He says, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I have crossed over this Jordan in my staff, and now I have two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother from the hand of Esau, and I fear for him, I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, Surely, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea. So he learns that Esau is coming, and after implementing the strategy, of course, God does intervene, and Jacob is allowed to go on. And we have in the latter part of chapter 32, Verse 24, after he has sent his family and his household away, uh, part of his strategy, and sending these presents to his brother. In verse 24, that Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched, he referring to this man that Jacob, with whom he was wrestling, he touched the socket of his hip, of Jacob's hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go. The man said, let me go. And Jacob said, no, I won't. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Because Jacob could perceive that this was not just a man. This was, we know, that actually God was wrestling with him. I will not let you go. 
In verse 28, he says, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Margin shows that he is, it renders Israel is named a prince with God. And so verse 30, so Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. In the other accounts, God has spoken to Jacob through a dream. Here in this case, the God of the Old Testament actually wrestles with him and Jacob realizes that he is being dealt directly. But he also realizes at this point that he needs God. Regardless of his physical success, he still needed God to take care of him, protect him. And as much as he knew that, we are so reminded that's the case with us. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. Not really. Whether an accident, an illness, could befall us, any number of things that could take away our physical well-being and whatever physical physical success that might uh, might be a part of God's blessing, that even after baptism, you and I can have big challenges, big tests that we have to endure. We have to trust God. We have to go to God. And it, the bigger the test, and here was a big test for Jacob, the bigger the test, the bigger the victory if we let God help us. And I think for many of us, if not all of us, there are certain, I'll call them watershed moments in our lives. We realize that this is an important moment in life, moment in our Christian life, and that we must stand fast when we're tested in a big way. Some of those things may be private. Some of them may share with their friends. But we have big challenges in the Christian life. And Jacob, when he had this big challenge, realized that he, he had to hold on for all he was worth and would not give. And, of course, he, he went to God, then blessed him. He went on his way to uh, ended up in Shechem. And one would think, well, now here, now that Jacob's name has been changed to Israel, that a prince with God, that sort of like sometimes we think after baptism... It, uh, the way gets easier. I won't need a show of hands, but I would ask if anybody, if it got easier after you got baptized, you can raise your hand. <laughs> uh, it doesn't work that way. It's just the beginning. It's sort of like a commencement from high school or college. Getting baptized is our commencement as a Christian, and there are trials and difficulties and moments that we are going to go through. And the true, that is true with Jacob as well. You think maybe it's going to get better? No. Chapter 34 of Genesis, I'll just summarize that, that Dinah, his only daughter, is defiled. It's a rather quick story. Not much is said about that except that two brothers took great issue with what happened. Simeon and Levi then conspire and find a way that they destroy, they kill, slay, all of the males of Shechem because their sister has been defiled. It doesn't say too much about what Jacob thought, Israel thought. But that's his only daughter that we know of at that point. That was a tragedy. As fathers, we could think of that. Would that be just one of those other small problems? 
No, that was a huge emotional down moment, days for Jacob. And the brothers are struck revenge. It's a big deal. But out of that, he now, Jacob looks at that and he's, he's terrified because of what the two sons have done in slaying all the males, that the other cities and small kingdoms surrounding that area are going to come after him and kill him and his household. So was Jacob's faith real high at that moment? Or was it maybe had it wavered because he was going to go through a trial? But even there, God worked that out. Rather than all those other cities deciding to come back and strike on strike at Jacob's family and household, they were afraid. This is, you know, this is one. Uh, at this point, one Israelite family that you don't mess with. There's something you know, we leave him alone. Because, as it was with Moses and elsewhere, that God was with him. And they were afraid to do anything about that. And, of course, that's at Shechem. And he's told then that, uh, go on, go to Bethel, God tells him. And we find in chapter 35, chapter 35, Verses 9 through 13. And God appeared to Jacob again. And he came from, uh, when he came from Padam Aram, or Padan Aram, and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. Be fruitful in verse 11 and multiply a nation and the company of nations shall proceed from you. And kings shall come from you. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you. And in verse 13, then God went up from him in the place where he had talked with him. And of course, again, that's in Bethel. And Israel then continues his journey. And on the, uh, as he's about to finish that journey, uh, uh, Rachel bears a second son, Benjamin. And so if we... Thinking about the timeline again, if he had left after six years of, work, of wages at the end with Laban, that that means Benjamin is born sometime during that. So he's about six years younger than uh, than Joseph, because uh, Joseph had been born toward the end of his time that uh, he'd worked with, with Laban, uh, the first 14 years, we think, that uh, so uh, Benjamin would have been six years younger. And so uh, just a couple of more items of chronology. Let's turn over again, still in chapter 35 of uh, Genesis, verses 27 through 29. Then Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kirjith Arba, that is in his Hebron, which Abraham and Isaac, where they had dwelt. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So Isaac breathed his last and died. So Isaac, in fact, lived a, a long time after he thought he was going to die. Whatever number of years you want to ascribe when uh, uh, that uh, Jacob left and went over to Laban, we know it was, at, the Bible indicates it was at least 20 years, uh, and then comes back. So that would indicate that... Uh, if you use that number, that Isaac would have been 160 years old when he sent 
Laban away, we sent uh, Jacob away, and he was not about to die as he, as he thought. But uh, he's 180 years old when he dies. That would mean that Jacob is how old? Or Israel. How old is Israel? He's 120 because he was born when Isaac was 60 years old. So Israel is 60 years old. So, and this occurred, by the way, uh, a good number of years later after he returned in actuality. It wasn't immediately upon his return. We find in Genesis 37, need to move along here, Genesis 37, verses 1 through 3, move the story forward, and we find that Joseph, his uh, 11th son, is 17, and because of the dissension between him and his brothers, he ends up being sold into servitude in Egypt. And talking about a trial again, here is his favorite son. He has his favorite coat he's given him. And Israel is greatly hurt in verses 34 and 35 of the same chapter, chapter 37. He says he would go down to his grave mourning his son. So Joseph is gone. Chapter 41. That's a big trial for Israel to lose his favored son. Chapter 41, verse 44. We know that this was all part of God's plan. He would work things out. And then the Pharaoh said to Joseph, this is... Uh, a good while later, says, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. What Pharaoh was saying was, Joseph, you have complete control of my kingdom. People can't move around without your permission. Verse 46, and Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So, Thirteen years later, he's now number two man in the Egyptian kingdom. So note that. He's 30 years old, and he's right under Pharaoh. Then in chapter 41, we also have the story that because of this dream that Joseph had been able to interpret, there were going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And Joseph, in his wisdom that God had given him, in those seven years, he gathers up all kinds of bounty, all kinds of grain, and then the famine begins, and all it says here in the last part, in verse 57 to 56, is the famine was over all the face of the earth. So all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain. And so he was selling grain, very profitable for the, for the Pharaoh and for the kingdom of Egypt. And in chapter 42, verse 3, said, Joseph's ten sons went down to buy grain in Egypt, except for Benjamin. And God, or, uh, Israel did not want to lose the other son, the brother of, of, uh, Rachel, or the brother of Joseph, didn't want to lose this other son that had been born of Rachel. So only the ten sons. They go down, they receive food, uh, Joseph recognizes them, doesn't tell them, sends them back. He says, bring your other brother with you. He, he, he Finally, when all the grain's gone, they bring Benjamin back. And he says, go back and, you know, is your father still alive? Well, yes, well, go back and get him too. 
and because uh, I, I want I want to see him. They end up with making two trips. And then in chapter forty six. Verse 1, because Israel had very reluctantly agreed to let Benjamin go, and now he's being asked to go. And God takes care of it, verse 40, chapter 46, verse 1, that Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Now, it's interesting, he said, no longer will your name be Jacob, be Israel. And those two are used interchangeably in, in the Old and New Testament. But he says, Jacob, Jacob. And he says, I'm right here. He says, I'm the God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. And I will go with you to Egypt, and I will surely bring you up again. But... And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. He's telling God, he's telling him, you will die there. But you will come back. And we know that, that uh, Joseph did see to it later on when, uh, when he died, that Israel was taken back and, and buried in the promised land. So Israel said he goes to Egypt and he will die there. And we find later in chapter 46, verse 29 and 30, so Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face because you are still alive. A long time. You can think about that for a moment. We know here in chapter 47, verses 8 and 9, that when Israel went down to to Egypt, he was 130 years old. He's 130 years old. Now, what can we decipher from that? That's 10 years after Isaac died. How old is Joseph at that point? He became the boss, number two, for at age 30, seven years of famine and two years, I mean, seven years of plenty and two years of famine. Joseph's about 39 years old. So how old was Jacob, Israel, when Joseph was born? 39 from 130. He's about 91 years old. So an interesting, it's an interesting age. And you think of the fact, where, where, where did all this other history, how did it occur? And uh, he says here in chapter 47, verses 8 and 9, says, Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage, or his sojourning, are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, yet they're not as long as what my father's had. Difficult life, few and evil. Now, the word evil there is being used as an adjective, and that could be translated evil, can mean challenging, can also be translated as giving pain, unpleasant, and, uh, of course, some of the things we've been through, 
that uh, they, some of them were very unpleasant and very difficult. He was in the promised land, and he was going through a famine. So there was you know, all these things that God had promised. He's still subject to a famine, subject to the world around him to a degree, in spite of the blessings from God. And we can do some other calculations. I won't go through all, all the detail, if you will. Please uh, excuse that. But Israel was 91 years old when Joseph was born. And Joseph was about six years old when uh, they got back to the uh, to, to Canaan, to the promised land. And uh, Isaac was still alive. So he got to see his grandson for a number of years. When did he leave? He was 17 when God led him away. allowed him to go away to, to Egypt, to uh, being sold into servitude. So Isaac... Uh, was around his grandson Joseph for a number of years, for about 11 years. And if, uh, if you do the math, and Benjamin and the other brothers were around their grandfather, I think would be about 24 years. But the net of that is that Israel loses Joseph from the time he's, he's 17 years old to 39. 22 years. He did not know that his son was alive. Would we call that a trial or a test when he said, I'll go down to my grave mourning for my son? And God didn't reveal that to him for 22 years. Of course, he was elated. It was a long trial. Of course, then from 130 years old to he died at 147 years. So in the land of Goshen, the very best part of Egypt, Israel got to reside for 17 years, a great deal of prosperity. In chapter 47, in verses 27 and 28, So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there, and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the length of his, of his life was 147 years. 17 years of great prosperity, great blessings. Let's go then toward the end here. Chapter 48 Verse 9, Joseph has sons, and Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, and Israel says, Please bring them to me, and I will bless them. Verse 14, Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and on his left, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly. For Manasseh was the firstborn. So he was, again, he was changing the, the way these blessings would be passed along to the younger. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God has fed me all my life long to this day. So he's saying, God has taken care of me. And he says then in verses 19 and 20, referring to the two, his two grandsons, it says, uh, he also shall become a people, referring to uh, uh, Manasseh. And he also shall be great, but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. In verse, that's part of verse 20. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. So again, his grandfather dealing with his grandsons. The way that God deals with families. 
working his plan. And of note here, I skipped over part of verse 15 and verse 16. He says that God has fed me all my life long to this day. And the angel, referring to God of the Old Testament, the one who became Jesus Christ, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. As he's approaching the end of his life, he's able to look back and see that here the word evil is, it's the same Hebrew word, but it's used as a noun. All evil. Again, that can be uh, described as evil, literal evil, wickedness, but can also be described as great difficulties, great trials. He's redeemed me from all evil, from all the things I've done wrong, from all the problems I endured. And blessed, and he's blessed the lads. And let my name be named on them. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. After all was said and done, all these many years that God had been working with him, and especially by the time he on his way to Paddan Aram, where God began to deal with him directly. All those years, what kind of the trials and the ups and downs that Jacob had endured, Israel had endured. And God brought that full circle around to where the end of his life was very blessed and he was able to see his grandsons as well and pass that blessing and worked worked with him through all that time and, and realized that God had redeemed him from all those problems, all those trials, and worked with him. And he passed that blessing on to his children. And let's turn over to, as we close, to a scripture. And you probably can guess where we're turning. Because what's our lesson? Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. And I won't spend any more time expounding that scripture because I think the life and times of Jacob, Israel, say it very well.